So these are the names of people that have passed away. This is my grandmama's name right here. Leola Lockett. Right there. Oh, Leola Lockett. What a beautiful name. Yes, ma'am. It's a beautiful lady. She used to keep me on her, um, put me on her bosom and shake me and rock me to sleep and stuff. People who lived or still live in Altville Gardens have been painting the names of lost loved ones on this memorial wall for years. Hundreds and hundreds of names in no particular order, hand-printed across a long expanse of yellow-painted brick. This young man doesn't want to give his name, but he's sure glad this wall is here. It sits in the covered breezeway of what was once a bustling commercial plaza. Some of the bricks are pockmarked, some of the paint is peeling. Above, a strip of white plaster hosts more names, all neatly alphabetized. And then my grandfather... He passed some times later. He in the yellow part. Let me see if I can find it. Some of my friends' names up here, too. Yeah, I'm looking for them. But these all the people who was raised up out here, who was part of the community. I miss them all. I miss them all. It's a reaction so many have when they look at names of former friends, family, and neighbors, old feelings, old stories, this wall has seen so much. Its bricks reflect the lives and history of Altgeld Gardens, a sprawling public housing community built in the mid-1940s on Chicago's far south side. But this memorial wall is in danger, What's to stop anyone from tearing it down? What protections are there for any memorial or mural art in Chicago? That question came to Curious City, and we'll dig into it and get you some answers in this episode. To do that, we'll spend time in Altgeld Gardens with some of the people who've known this wall best over the years. And what better place to begin tracking down the story than an annual picnic for people who've lived here? For Curious City, I'm Linda Paul. All that's coming up after the break. Do you need a break from the news? Well, my friend, Nerdette Podcast is here for you. Our show is all about delight. We laugh about what's happening in pop culture and feature thoughtful interviews with fascinating people. We even have a monthly book club that you can participate in. I could just go on and on about it. I loved this book. It was an experience, I'll tell you that. (laughs) I discovered authors I had never heard of, and I'm really happy that I did. Come hang out with us. Listen to Nerdette wherever you get your podcasts. It's late August last year. A back-to-school parade for the kids snakes through a residential part of the Altgeld Gardens homes on Chicago's far south side and spills onto a long patch of grass next to the Bobion Woods near a slight bend in the Little Calumet River. This is our annual picnic we're in Carver Park. This has been going on for 53 years. We never have any problems out here at this time of the year. 
if you don't have a chair, we have a chair. If you don't have anything to eat, we have something to eat. We had different blocks. I'm from Block 17, where we were family. Those blocks were designated areas, each assigned a number. Each block was like a tight-knit little neighborhood in this sprawling development of two-story brick row house-style apartment buildings. The community was racially segregated, built by the Chicago Housing Authority with federal funding for African-American workers in nearby industries, as well as African-American veterans returning from World War II. Christella Bell Woods lived in what many residents call the gardens for 27 years, from 1955 to 1982. She describes what can only be called an idyllic childhood. My mother would make homemade cookies and donuts, and everybody would come and just, she would feed everybody. She was known as Miss Bell, Dr. Bell. When the kid got hurt, they would pick him up and bring him down to my house for my mother to bandage him up. I, I wouldn't trade this for the world. If I had to go back in time, I would do it all over again. Yes, my name is Baron Johnson, and my name is Vernon Johnson. This is my older brother. And we lived in Block 17 from 1967 to 1973. Baron Johnson's easy to spot. Like most years, he's come in from Minneapolis to wander these picnic grounds, video camera in hand, asking everyone their names and what block they're from. And what block are you from? From 9, Block 9. All right, my name is Joyce, and I'm from Block Block 9. Block 9. My name is Vita, I'm from Block 15 and Block 9. Later, he posts it all on Facebook, something he's done for over a decade. He and his brother have even written a song about growing up here. Say, look here. I just got to tell somebody. I miss the place I was raised. Old timers get sentimental recalling their time at the gardens. Now there came a time in my life I would hang out in the baseball teams, late night roller skating in a school's gymnasium, the stiff competition at the annual flower festival capped off when one block was awarded most beautiful in the development. The warmth and protection of the place so many felt in those early days. You know, it said take a village to raise children. Our block was a village. Yes, it was a village. The mothers would look out for all the kids. Didn't have to be their their son or daughter, but they looked out for them. Make sure they do no wrong. We loved it. I still love it. I can listen to stories like this all day, but I'm here on a mission to hear from people who have history with Altgeld's Memorial Wall. So now I turn my attention to their feelings about it. This long stretch of brick-painted yellow with individual names hand-printed in dark paint, usually across two bricks for the first and last name. That's the wall for all the people that died that live out here. They write their name on that wall. I'm glad my name ain't on there. <laughs> yeah, but that's such a... We passed it when we came in here today, and I was showing my grandson, it's my grandson, where uh, what's on that wall. Famous, 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 famous. Everybody on that wall died, and everybody, when they come up to visit, they recognize the names and their memories. So that wall is kind of like a historic monument for everybody who used to live or still live here in our girl garden. Family members and friends who died of disease, old age, violence, remembered. That historic monument stands, as I said, in the breezeway of a dilapidated, 
and privately owned structure that locals call Uptop. You'll hear references to Uptop throughout this story because its fate and that of the memorial wall are intertwined. Uptop's a unique, block-long, mid-century modern building with a curving facade and a swooping cantilevered roof. It was designed by brothers George and William Keck, architects who dreamed up the House of Tomorrow for the 1933 World's Fair in Chicago. Uptop was once a kind of town center for the thousands of residents of Altgeld Gardens just off I-94 at 130th Street. Picture blocks of townhomes surrounding the futurist-looking building at the heart of the development. No wonder the memorial wall grew here. At one time, it stretched around the corners of the breezeway and onto the exterior walls of the building. In its heyday, Uptop was filled with Black-owned businesses. It had a shoe repair shop, a drugstore, a lounge called the Funky London, a beauty shop, a barber shop, and Al's Certified, a grocery store owned by Al Beals, father of actress Jennifer Beals. Remember her in Flashdance? If you close your eyes, you can see the music. You can, too. Okay, back to business. The annual picnic is still in high gear, and the Johnson brothers are giving me their take on the wall and its future. I don't think they're going to tear that down. I really don't think so. I don't know for sure. Because it's been there since they do all this remodeling. That wall is still there. Yeah, it is. Still there. Maybe they're right. But here's where I have to tell the Johnson brothers what I've learned. First, the good news. Altgeld Gardens, the entire complex, along with the nearby Philip Murray Homes, has been listed as a historic district on the National Register of Historic Places. And by the way, listing on the National Register is not the same as becoming a national landmark, which is a more selective process. Anyhow, stick with me here. Even though the memorial wall and the building that surrounds it are part of a historic district on the National Register, that's not enough to protect them if the up-top structure landed in demolition court, which it has. Here's Ward Miller with an explainer. He has a Preservation Chicago, a nonprofit that works to protect architectural treasures. So National Register status is a great honor, and it's a way of encouraging renovation and restoration. You know, it's, it's a plan towards some good outcomes, and it brings about things with the best of intentions, but it has no teeth. Whoa, who knew? A National Register designation, Ward Miller says, has financial perks and tax incentives that lay the groundwork for solid preservation plans. But at the end of the day, it does not keep a building from being demolished. At the picnic, I also laid that news on the Johnson brothers. If a bulldozer showed up and was going to tear down that building, do you think people here would care? They'd break their heart. They break a lot of people out. Like me, I would take my daughter to that wall and say, there go someone I know. And that person was a good person. But my granddaughter came behind me and showed someone that wall that I showed them. So that is a great, great memory for me and my kids and their kids. You know something else? They didn't lock, knock down some blocks. 
some blocks are missing, right? And that was a terrible thing. People was really upset. Said, man, they, they, my block is gone, man. That's something else Ward Miller told me, and it's really shocking. Since 2017, 26 CHA-owned residential buildings have been demolished at Altgeld. Those buildings contained over 600 housing units. So in recent years, Altgeld residents have seen lots of buildings coming down around them, which may explain why some in the community wonder if Up Top could be next, even though it's privately owned. The wall carries precious family histories from this place. But it turns out its story is even bigger than that. It also tells a tale of racism and neglect in Chicago. That's next. Do you need a break from the news? Well, my friend, Nerdette Podcast is here for you. Our show is all about delight. We laugh about what's happening in pop culture and feature thoughtful interviews with fascinating people. We even have a monthly book club that you can participate in. I could just go on and on about it. I loved this book. It was an experience, I'll tell you that. (laughs) I discovered authors I had never heard of, and I'm really happy that I did. Come hang out with us. Listen to Nerdette wherever you get your podcasts. The yellow brick memorial wall in the gardens is like one of those Russian dolls, always revealing another level of meaning, another insight into Chicago. That's how it felt in 2008, the first day I ever even heard of this memorial wall. Our president, Barack Obama, he did it. (laughs) Woo, this is good. It's November 5th, and photojournalist Rich Cahan and I are collecting tape and photos at Altgeld Gardens the morning after Barack Obama was elected 44th president of the United States. We're here because this is where Obama did some of his early community organizing work. Altgeld is joyful that day. A young man rolls by in his car blasting young Jeezy's brand new song, My President. Would you like an interview with WBEZ? Let me play that again for you. This is my morning anthem, and it should be everybody's morning anthem. Y'all listening? Rich and I talked to a lot of people that day, and one of them was the late Hazel Johnson, often dubbed the mother of the environmental justice movement. And she's the person who first told me about the wall. I thought I'd never see this day. Where were you guys watching? From your house? No, we was over to my daughter's house. Because her apartment was a little bit larger than mine. Mm -hmm. Some quick background. Hazel Johnson spent most of her life confronting government and industry about hazardous waste that had been dumped disproportionately near low-income and minority communities like her own. Here she is telling Rich and me about a protest decades ago to block trucks from dumping into waste management's nearby Calumet Industrial District landfill. In fact, I went to jail. Me and Greenpeace groups, with 17 of us, we, we chained ourselves, and we, didn't, uh, we stopped 57 trucks that day from coming in. They cussed out and called us all kind of names. But after all the media and everybody left, then waste management had us arrested for trespassing. 
With her family, Hazel Johnson had moved to Altgeld Gardens in 1962, but only seven years later, her husband John, a bricklayer, was dead from cancer at just 41 years old. That's what made me stop working, because my husband died of a lung cancer, and I was looking around, and I'm hearing this person had cancer, that person had cancer. I want to know why so many people was having cancer. That's what got you into your environmental activism? Yes. Something else Hazel Johnson told us that morning. If you listen closely, you'll hear her mention a wall. She's talking about the memorial wall that holds the name of her deceased husband. We got a wall, but it's not everybody in it, but it's a lot of people. Right over there where I told you my office is, that girl can tell you, show you that where the names of there that a lot of people died of cancer. Later that day, Rich and I went looking for that wall and ran into a young man with a gloomy prediction. And I wouldn't look at it as just no wall. I look at it as something more than that. You know, cause this, is why my, this is what my family is. This is, what, this is what we use to remember them. So to a lot of people, I think they'll feel that same way. But if, I, if nobody fight for it, it's going to be gone. You know what I mean? The only thing we'll have left is those pictures he's taking. That's going to be over with for this wall and the history from it. Hi, how can I help you? Hi. I have an appointment with Miss Cheryl Johnson. Oh, come in. Thanks. What's your name? Uh, Linda Paul, P-A-U-L. Hazel Johnson passed away in 2011, and today her daughter Cheryl leads the environmental justice organization her mother founded, PCR, People for Community Recovery. Mm. Looks like you're ready for the weather. Actually, you know, it's not bad. Are you letting your hair grow? Yes, since I last saw I'm here to try to find out how the wall got started. I also want to talk about this conversation I once had with a young resident who told me something surprising about the names on the wall. Her name's Tracy Goodwin, and here's a bit of my chat with her back in 2016. Hello. Hello. You know what that wall is? Wait, come here, you tell me. Those are all the names of the dead people. All the people who died in the gardens. Died from what? Usually violence, sadly. Mostly that's what uh, the cousins whose names I have up there is from violence. Cheryl Johnson says, yeah, some people on the yellow brick wall have died from violent encounters. But... Majority are cancer. Majority of those people on that wall died from cancer. You know, and we still have a high incidence of cancer in this area than any other and now we're having a lot of cardiovascular problems in the air. And that signifies that something from the breathing of some of this polluted air in our community. So um, to say that majority is related to violence, I disagree with that. Because that wasn't, that wasn't the case. Altgeld Gardens, by the way, was built on a dump or at least near the edge of what was once a dump for the town of Pullman. We're talking human waste and industrial sludge from the factories that built those famous railroad cars. In 1892 alone, almost 700 million pounds of liquid waste was dumped at the Pullman Sewage Farm at 130th in Indiana, just west of what today is Altgeld Gardens and the Philip Murray Homes. That's according to Sylvia Hood Washington's book, Packing Them In, in Archaeology of Environmental Racism in Chicago, 1865 
1954. In all, the drainage ditches from the operation from the Georgia Employment Sewage Farm has actually contaminated the soil. The farther you dig down into the soil, the higher the concentration. The Pullman Sewage Farm closed in 1907. Fifteen years later, Cook County's first sewage treatment plant opened, directly north of what would become Altgeld Gardens a couple of decades later in 1945. Cheryl Johnson's mother, Hazel, famously described Altgeld as sitting in the center of a, quote, toxic donut, including a ring of leaking underground storage tanks, factories, the sewage treatment plant, a polluted Little Calumet River, and an assortment of landfills, 50 documented landfills, Cheryl Johnson says, all close by. Well, you know, you can't move a landfill. (laughs) Once it's there, it's there for life. Cheryl Johnson's community has long been exposed to hazardous waste and pollution. Some of the stories behind the names on the memorial wall give proof to that, she says. That's what that wall defines to me, that environmental racism was heavily practiced in Chicago. That's what that wall means to you. That's what that wall is to me. To Cheryl Johnson, the wall is also history, national history and Chicago history. She says that during the Black Power Movement, the Memorial Wall had a bigger footprint than it does today. She remembers murals and uplifting words of encouragement and poems. There's only one poem still visible at the wall today that may date back to that era. See, what bullet killed him? Nobody knows. Where was he born? In Algale, they say. Why did they pick him up? He was lying in the street, dead. His sweetheart comes and kisses him. His mother comes and cries. When the man came, he said, bury him. There goes another black brother. Uh, I I, kind of remember that, but I don't remember exactly when that came up. Seth Ibrahim has met me at the wall. In the late 60s, he was a young activist living in Altgeld Gardens and went by the name Charles Henderson. I asked him if that poem seems like the sort of statement one might have seen on the wall back then. Yes, because there was a concern about the death of young black men and a concern about the lack of hope. And people were trying to give a sense of hope and pride and it just was hard to come by. For decades, Ibrahim was an imam at the Mosque of Umar on Chicago's south side. Today, I'm asking him to think back to an important moment in Altgeld's history. This is what started off as the wall of pride, the wall of hope. When Pinky Jones, a young 17-year-old Black Panther, was killed, the community was very upset and we needed a response. Sterling Pinky Jones was shot in the eye and died on Christmas Day of 1969, just three weeks after Fred Hampton was assassinated in his bed by police. Hampton was 21 and chairman of the Illinois chapter of the Black Panther Party and deputy chair of the National Black Panther Party. It's always been unclear what happened to Pinky Jones that day, and the case was never solved. What is clear is that in the days and months after he died, Altgeld Gardens was a tinderbox. It seemed like violence was about to break out. The young people were, were absolutely uh, wound up and needed somewhere to put that energy. And they weren't afraid of power, police, nothing at the time. 
Ibrahim and some of his friends wanted to direct that energy and grief to something positive. Soon after Jones's death, they hatched the idea of using Uptop as a place where people could paint, write, express themselves. They talked to housing authority supervisors who not only liked the idea, they supplied the paint and sent over an employee who was a talented artist, Ibrahim says. And he painted a picture of Malcolm X right here. And there was some poetry and one name. Oh, wow, it's gone. Pinky Jones. So we did, the wall became a focal point for pride and hope for all Gill Gardens. The initial Malcolm X mural was so good, Ibrahim says. People were just impressed and wanted to be a part of completing whatever it was we were doing. To grasp the magnitude of Pinky Jones's death, you have to know a little about the presence of the Black Panther Party at the gardens. The party wasn't big in numbers, but its influence was huge. If you had to guesstimate, how many people at that time at Altgel do you think were Black Panthers? Prominently, no more, than, no more than a dozen. There may have been more, but not out front. But how many people do you think were impressed with the programs going on and were philosophically aligned or emotionally aligned? Everybody. Everybody. Because like there, there was nothing to compare them to. Like I say, food programs, clothing, uh, counseling, because no one else was doing anything. And they weren't promoting violence. They were promoting uh, uplifting the community. And were involved with doing it. Remember Baron Johnson, the guy with the video camera, the old-timers picnic? Here's what he recalls about Pinky Jones. He used to feed us up here at the, at, at the children. And, you know, and I'm, I'm not going to lie, my mother had six kids. And when they gave the free breakfast, free lunch, and free dinners, we, my mother would march us down there. And I appreciated Pinky for starting that. I do. The reason why the Black Panther Party in Algale, in Chicago, in Illinois, and across the country was so beloved by people was because poverty had taken, it was such a hold on in these Black communities, like concentrated poverty, meaning like some of the kids never had breakfast before there was a breakfast program, let alone honey in their cereal or anything like that. Layla Wills lived in Altgeld Gardens until she was six or so. Today, she's executive director of the Historical Preservation Society of the Illinois chapter of the Black Panther Party. Her parents were members of the Black Panther Party. The wall Sterling Pinky Jones inspired started small, but residents added to it with paintings, poetry, and other writing tied to the Black Power movement. And beyond just Pinky's name, they added the names of other loved ones who'd passed. Eventually, the murals stretched over all the exterior walls of the uptop building, Cheryl Johnson tells us. And the names, which grew from dozens to hundreds and then many, many hundreds, became concentrated in the covered breezeway. Years later, the exact timing is murky. The artwork and poems on the exterior walls started to disappear and maybe half the names in the breezeway. Those were painted over, too, I'm told. Tyrone Nelson was a senior in high school in 1969 
when Sterling Pinky Jones got shot. His and other murals started to take shape a few months later when the weather warmed up. Working off a picture from a Black Panther newspaper, he painted a portrait of Huey P. Newton, founder of the Black Panther Party. I asked him what happened to all the artwork that disappeared. Here's how he remembers it. You know, all the the stores and venues that we had up here were black-owned. Those store owners left the murals and writings alone, Tyrone Nelson told me. But sometime in the late 70s or maybe early to mid-80s, he says, other vendors came to Uptop. Most of the grocery stores were, were taken over by Arab merchants. And then we had you know, Korean people come in and start taking over these stores. So oftentimes they didn't feel no connection to what we had out here, so they painted over. You know, we, had, we had portraits on, on walls, on various walls out here, and they painted over that. The new merchants, he says, saw the murals differently. Yeah, it was just, you know, I guess it was graffiti to them. Neglect and disinterest can be the first steps to public art or memorials like the wall being lost. But what if, even in a fading state, a memorial is important to a community? That gets us back to what our Curious City questioner asked about. Can a mural or a memorial be protected even if it's not a national landmark? The answer to that varies case by case. But how about for Altgeld's memorial wall? We turn again to Preservation Chicago's Ward Miller. You know, at the end of the day, we rely on the Altgeld community to also tell us if this is important to them. And it's not for us to come in and say unilaterally, this is important. No matter what would happen, I think that wall should be thoroughly documented and always remembered. So maybe the bricks could be taken down and reassembled someplace nearby? That's one way to preserve those names and memories. But if there is community buy-in for saving the wall intact and in its current location, that also means saving the building it sits on, Miller says. And he offers this. So the only way to protect a building in the city of Chicago is by having it made a designated Chicago landmark, which is protecting the building by ordinance. That means a vote of the city council, and there are a bunch of steps leading up to that. Anyone can start the process by downloading what's called a Suggestion for Chicago Landmark form. It lists seven criteria that could make a nomination worthy. Important history, cultural significance, unique architecture, stuff like that. But your suggestion only needs to meet any two of the seven. Your proposed landmark's also going to have to meet what's called integrity criteria. Basically, the site can't have been altered too much. The bones and appearance of what makes it significant have to still be evident. The city's landmark office will invite you to make a short oral presentation. And that's exactly what happened in late March of last year. Now we'll call on Cheryl Johnson, People for Community Recovery, and Lisa DeCara, Landmarks, Illinois. Thank you, commissioners, for giving me the opportunity to be here again to talk about my wonderful community. Cheryl Johnson that day pitched landmark status for a vacant school building at Altgeld. Lisa DeCara made the case for Uptop 
and its culturally significant memorial wall. Created by uh, local residents, it basically memorializing names of people who have died over the years, both of uh, violence and of illness uh, from these types of uh, cancers and pollutant illnesses that um, Cheryl's mother really brought to light. Cheryl Johnson and Lisa DiChiera combined had about four minutes to make their pitches. After oral presentation, Landmark staff considers proposals in more detail. They may or may not get back to you, we're told. In fact, a response can take from months to years. So far, no word back for Johnson and DiChiera. Meanwhile, Ward Miller's group Preservation Chicago made Altgeld's Uptop part of its seven most endangered list for 2022, and Miller seems confident that both the memorial wall and the building itself could be saved. But he's also realistic. As a rule, he says, the city doesn't like to landmark buildings that have landed in demolition court, as Uptop has. And it would take a lot of money to correct code violations and restore some of the architectural features that originally made the building distinct. Miller says if you're in the planning department's historic preservation division, you want everybody's blessing. The owner of the building, the Chicago Housing Authority, because they control the surrounding property, support from the community, and, he says, Ideally, you always want the alderman's blessing, too. They are sort of the mayors of each community. So if you have all of those components, you're good to go. So where do Algeld residents stand on the importance of up top and the memorial wall? In a highly unscientific survey, I recently went back to Altgeld Gardens and posed a hypothetical to people walking by the wall. Okay, my name is Belinda McGrew. I'm just going to make you the empress of Altgeld. You've got all the power you want. You've got all the resources you want. What are you going to do with this building? What are you going to do with that wall? Well, I really believe that all this should be torn down. There's a lot of memories that most of the people that's on the wall is not here. The family not here anymore. You know, we need grocery stores out here, and we don't have that anymore. Well, my thing is, if you give me the magic wand, what I'm going to do is create a wall to put all the names of the people who passed away and then tear down the entire building and create a store for the community. Put up a wall, a monument, and put all their names and add to the wall like veterans or whatever. Tear it down and get and rehab the whole property and start something off with brand new everything. Remodel everything. I would not try to invest any money in fixing that up. And what did you say you would do with the wall? The wall I would keep it as memory, as keepsake, you know, as a landmark out here. How you doing today? It's Jacobs. It's nice yes, to see ma'am. you again. On the day of the old-timers picnic, I meet with Marguerite Jacobs over at the Memorial Wall. She's lived here at the gardens on and off since the 60s. She tells me about one of her early jobs right here. Uh, Miss Betty opened the beauty shop, and by her daughter living across from me, she said, come on. So it was Gardner Eatings. Yes, that was the name of the beauty shop. In 1979, when Hazel Johnson founded People for Community Recovery, her very first office was next door to the beauty shop where Marguerite did her hair. 
they both worked just 50 feet or so from the memorial wall. One could argue that this crumbling wall and this dilapidated building are central spots in the history of the environmental justice movement in America. Not just that the mother of the environmental justice movement had her first office here, or that a future president worked in the community on environmental issues, it's also all these names, the ones whose lives are thought to have been shortened by pollution-related illnesses. Do most people in the community know the history of the wall? I asked Marguerite Jacobs. No. No. Just the older folks, just the older people really know and really appreciate what this is about. But you better not touch this wall. You better not do. And what if others outside the community tried to touch the wall, I asked. If a bulldozer showed up here, how would you feel, first of all? I would hate it. I would hate it. I mean, this is the core of Argyll, you know, so why don't we rebuild instead of tear it down? She hopes no one will try to demolish this wall, but if it were to happen, she'd pick up her phone. 152 people that I um, can call, so I'm blocked too. Yes. She's been through this before with an old school building people here call the Catholic. We say the Catholic. The Catholic was going to go. We didn't want it to go. We fought for the Catholic. Most of these buildings have been fought for. And Marguerite Jacobs is ready to do it again for the memorial wall. She wants it to get cleaned up, she says, and restored. And she wants that wall to stay put right where it is. The story was reported by Linda Paul. If you'd like to suggest a Chicago landmark or learn more about the steps the Commission on Chicago Landmarks follows, you can find links to those along with photographs of Altgel Gardens Memorial Wall at wbez.org slash curiousity. Curious City is supported by the Conant Family Foundation. It's produced by Jason Mark and me, Adriana Cardona-McGeegott is our reporter. Maggie Sivet is our digital and engagement producer. And J.P. Swenson is our luminary fellow. Kate Cahan edited this story, and Johanna Zorn is Curious City's editor. I'm Joe Dassault. Thanks for listening. Before we start the show, we here at Curious City want to let you in on a little-known fact about WBEZ. 89% of all our funding comes from community support, including contributions from curious listeners like you. If this program has changed how you see Chicago, please consider supporting this program at wbez.org curious. Thank you.